up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Behind the Facade. I am your host, Gavin J. Gallagher, and on this podcast, I explore the mental and emotional game often playing out subconsciously in your mind and the mind of everyone else in the real estate or property investment market. The key to success in this game is to master your mindset, your behavior, and get control of your thought process, your emotions, and most importantly, your ego. So here we are on episode 20. In the last week, I spoke with Michael Houghton, a Limerick-based podcaster here in Ireland. And um, anyway, I hope you enjoyed that podcast. It was a a bit of a a standby podcast that I had ready because of the birth of my baby son, Dominic, who came around two weeks ago. And therefore, I was kind of on the back foot. So hope you enjoyed that. Apologies to those of you who had already heard it. So I'm going to give you just a quick update on um, the way things are at the moment with the Facebook group behind the facade community is currently at 212 members. And that is the best way for you guys to get in contact with me. If you have any questions you want to ask, or if you have any topics you'd like covered in the podcast going forward. Um, Another thing is if you are interested in connecting with me or following me on social or whatever it is and you haven't come across my content before, the best place to go to find all of this is my website, gavinjgallagher.com. And if you forward slash go, that'll bring you straight to my newsletter sign up page and you can sign up for the newsletter. And that will mean that any kind of important update you will get a updated on. I do not send out a regular, you know, you won't get bombarded. I hate all the spam email that I get all the time. And so I don't send a lot of email out to people. Um, That is really just me building up an email list for you guys to contact you with stuff uh, that is, I consider important in the future. So anyway, without further ado, I'm going to get into this week's episode and it is all about cognitive biases. And those are the subconscious triggers that so many of us have that we're not aware of that may that force us to make mistakes. And they are basically shortcuts that our mind makes. But I'm going to read out to you a official definition that I got from Google. So it must be true. eh? It's called it says that uh, cognitive biases is a systematic error in thinking that occurs when people are processing or interpreting information in the world around them affecting the decisions and judgments they make. Now, that's awful kind of um, technical and complex sounding, but the reality is we all have these cognitive biases and they are controlling a lot of what we do and they have been created in order to just allow us to get through life without having to make a decision all of the time. A lot of us suffer from a thing called decision fatigue. And so, um, you know, everyone has to make decisions all of the time. And the reality is, is that at some point in the future, you're going to basically just rely on the bias that exists. Now, bias obviously has a lot of negative connotations as well. Over in the US, we have a lot of racial tension at the moment. And that is because there seems to be a lot of um, uh, racial biases and injustice going on in certain communities. And therefore, that is another form of bias. Today, I'm going to be talking about cognitive bias which is, uh, I'm, I'm looking more at the kind of the investment side and how you can use these or become aware of these so that when you are faced with a decision that you are not falling foul of your cognitive bias. And um, because one of the biggest reasons is that 
bias is actually many of us, most of us, I think something like 70% of us do not even recognize the bias that we have that is actually controlling our thoughts. And so if you don't even know that you have it, how can you actually try to push back against it when it's taking control of your decision making? And so one of the reasons why I created this podcast was to talk about the mental game and mindset and everything being sort of in your mind. That is very much what I am aiming at talking about today. So, for example, let me give you a small example, and I won't tell you the type of bias it is yet, but I'll just explain a scenario. And imagine that you are going out to uh, the front of your house with your trash or your garbage or your litter, and you're going to dump it in your bin. And as you're going out there, your friendly bin man, or let's be very PC and call him, call the person a refuse collector, they are sort of standing beside your bin and they go oh hello how are you you know i want to give you a little bit of investment advice and i you know there's a new share there's a new company on the stock market and its shares are going to go shooting up and so i would recommend strongly that you buy this particular share in this particular company and as you're walking back to your house are you thinking god i must get on the telephone right away and I must call my stockbroker and buy the shares in that. No, probably not. And why is that? Because it has come from your bin man and your bin man may not be in your mind the best source of information for stock market purchases. Now, later in the day, you happen to be in a restaurant in the city center or something like that. And you're sitting at a table on your own and you're waiting for your guest or your friend or whoever to arrive. And while you're sitting there, there's a busy table at the next right next to you, full of all these people dressed in suits and expensive suits and ties. And you get a glimpse of the person, the, the, the main person sitting at the table. And it's a well-known, um, we'll call him a, a billionaire or somebody who is extremely successful, who is always in the news for their latest company. And so... They are like a celebrity business celebrity and they are sitting at the table next to you. And these other people, these four or five other business people are there that are kind of all around them are giving them advice. And so you're just happening to overhear this advice and you're listening to them and they're talking about a new company in the stock market who has you know, where the shares are about to come available and they're going to go shooting up and they're recommending to this celebrity businessman you should definitely buy these shares. Now, you're sitting there silently at the next table overhearing this. What is your next move? Is it out with the phone and place an order to buy company shares? It probably is. Certainly in my uh, past, that is the kind of thing that I would have done. And in the, in the case anyway of those kind of things, you've got to understand that what you, have, what you are falling afoul of there is a thing called a framing bias or the framing effect. And it's also, there's also a version of that called the authority bias. And what it is, is that the, the exact same piece of information that was given to you by the bin man is given to you by a highly successful businessman. And you automatically value the successful businessman's information over the bin man. But it's exactly the same data, exactly the same piece of information, exactly the same recommendation. And therefore, why have you done that? The reality is, is that you should be delving deeper into the company dynamic, into the data, into all of the, the, the accounts and the finances and stuff. But people have this automatic um, 
a shortcut that they want to take and they want to just jump forward and make the quick kill make some money very quickly now i have fallen afoul of that myself my brother used to work for a certain company here in dublin and it was uh, run by a extremely successful businessman who would be very well known to most people here in the irish market anyway and he was an extremely, he's gone on to become even more successful and stuff today. I'm not going to mention any names, but you might be able to guess where anyone who has a private jet has done very, very well. And this person was uh, owner of shares in a certain company. And my brother told me about this during the weekend that he had, oh, he owns all of these shares in this particular company. What did I do? Monday morning, straight on the phone to my stockbroker and buy as many shares in this company as I could possibly get. And I, I, I spent, I think, pretty much all of my savings on buying shares in this company, um, all because of a rumor my brother told me and my brother was working in a company that a billionaire success. Well, he wasn't a billionaire at the time, but that a successful businessman was working, it was running. And I heard about this investment that he had made. And so what did I do? Jumped in, made the same investment. And how did it go for me? Didn't go very well. Uh, after about three months, the price had fallen in half. And I think the company ended up just basically going and getting falling apart and disappearing. And it turned out that the person that had been, you know, the, this, this successful business person had gotten out of the company. Back when my brother was talking about it, he was selling and he was getting out of the company completely. And here I was, like the fool, buying into it all on this little rumor. And that was all because of the framing effect or the bias that, that you have for who gives you the information. And this will happen a lot of the time when you're asking advice or when you're getting advice from people and friends and, you know, colleagues. If somebody like your, your grandmother tells you that you should buy a property in a certain location, You'll, you'll listen to that information. And then if a guy who is a top property developer in the country gives you that information, you'll, you'll basically listen to him quicker. And it's all about the framing. It's all about the authority that you believe that that guy has, but you might be getting an identical piece of information. And so just be aware of it. Second bias that I'm going to cover today is confirmation bias. And this has really impacted me over the years. And it's something that we're all guilty of. And what I'll explain, it's, it's basically where you subconsciously look for data or information that is going to confirm or favor a belief that you already have. So you are not analyzing the deal, looking for, you know, information on whether you should do it or not. You're just looking for something to give you a pat on the back and tell you and confirm that what you've already decided to do is the right decision. And a lot of people fall into this. And one of the examples that I can give is um, years ago, I had this romantic notion that I should buy a, uh, I'd love to own a property in New York City. I'd love to live in New York City. And I had this great idea of, you know, buying an apartment and geez, maybe it'd be a penthouse apartment one day. And anyway, it was... Um, couple of years later, quite a few years later, this is the kind of thing, it's like an ambition that we all hold. And back in 2005, an apartment opportunity came up in Manhattan. And I did exactly that. I, I, I basically, I had been primed to buy this property since I was maybe a teenager or in my early 20s. 
And um, imagine then when the opportunity arose and somebody presented to me an opportunity to buy an apartment in an apartment building right in the middle of Manhattan in New York City. So what did I do? I said, oh, geez, I better go and look into it, better do my due diligence. But I was already primed to make this investment because I've been thinking about it since I for you know probably a decade or longer. And and I was completely fallen in love with the idea. The ego got in the way and I started to think to myself, imagine how cool it's going to be when I tell all my friends that I own this apartment in New York City. And imagine how cool it's going to be walking out of your penthouse apartment in New York City uh, with the view over the Empire State Building and all of that kind of stuff. These are things that, you know, they, they basically flavor your decision making and you suddenly find that you're not making a decision, you're not making this decision in an unemotional, uh, rational way. You are falling, you've fallen in love with the decision and you're just going with it. And all you're doing is looking for information that will actually confirm something that you've already decided to do. So I went off, picked up a report on the New York real estate market. And what does it say? Oh, you cannot lose money in New York. New York property always rises. New York property is going to continue to rise forever. And sure enough, that's all I wanted to hear. Stuck that that report into my filing cabinet. And there you go. I found out. Now, where did the report come from? Don't remember exactly, but probably was the bank that was lending me the money or it was the brokers that were selling the asset or whoever it was, but it was a bias piece of information that would support the decision that you were making. Now, at the same time, if you were to go and Google at the time, you would have found that there were agents reporting that uh, prices in New York had gotten to quite a high level. It was um, possible that there was going to be some some of a fallback. And of course, we were in the middle of the whole credit crunch at the time. And 2005, 2006, 2007, there was a big ramp up in property prices. But I didn't want to know about that. I was already sold. I had made my mind up. I was buying this apartment in New York City. And therefore, it doesn't matter what anyone says, what anyone, any report says. I found a report that told me that you'll never lose money in New York City. And that's the one that I was holding on to. So went ahead, bought the apartment, borrowed quite a bit of money to do that and put in a lot of my own equity. And sure enough, market collapsed and I ended up selling. Well, I held, held on to it for a couple of years and it was, it was you know, it made a good return. But ultimately, I sold it at, at a bit of a loss and I was disappointed because it was something that I had fallen in love with as a teenager. The idea of living in New York City and all that kind of stuff. And I had, and this was basically like putting a pin in that, that dream that I had. So anyway, that is a confirmation bias where you're looking for information that will confirm a decision you've pretty much already made. And so you've got to go and look for information in an unemotional, unattached and rational kind of way. And don't be looking at the information in a, in a way, just be aware that you should think to yourself, am I buying this? because I want to buy it? Or am I buying this because the data is pointing to that decision as being the right decision? That's a very important thing to do. And the likes of uh, Warren Buffett and people like that, they are people that do not get swayed by what the market is saying. They do not get swayed by all this. They make rational decisions. They look at the underlying data and they don't make up their mind 
until such time as the data tells them that that is the right decision. All right, next, we're going to talk about continuity bias. And this is an interesting one. This is the tendency to disbelieve or minimize threat warnings because your default mindset is that the status quo is going to continue. And I'll give you an example, and this is not a, a, a real estate investment example. This is just a basic example that so many people have. And that is, uh, are you prepared for a fire emergency evacuation in your home this evening? Let's just say you go to bed and two o'clock in the morning, you get a, a smoke detector going off and there's a fire in your house. What are you going to do? What are you going to grab? Who are you going to grab? Uh, where is everything that's important to you at that point in time? Maybe it's going to be dark. You can't turn on the lights. Maybe you're unable to find anything. You've just got to run for your life. Now, have you thought that through? Have you got your uh, escape route planned? Have you got it? Like all of this stuff is so important to have thought through and planned from the beginning. But so many of us don't do it because none of us think that it is realistic to think that a fire could break out in your house tonight. And so many of us are caught. And the reality is, is that there's a couple of moments during a, an emergency. And that is, first of all, there's denial. And you just don't want to believe that it's possible. You kind of say, nah, I, I must be imagining this. The second thing is then, uh, what is it? It's, it's deliberation. The second one, so D for the first D is denial. The second D is deliberation. And this is where you are sitting there losing precious minutes trying to decide what you should do. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And you're just sitting there kind of bamboozled and you just don't know what to do because it's a panic. You are losing valuable time. Whereas if you had thought about this in advance and planned ahead, you would know exactly what to do. You would be saying to yourself, right, the phone is the first thing, the wallet with the ID, that's the second thing, car keys, better make sure I have those, um, warm clothes for the kids, whatever it is, that stuff, and then your route out of the house. That's the kind of thing that avoids you having to go back to get something after you're already outside safe and, and this kind of thing. Now, that's a fairly dark example, obviously, but that same thing happens across the board. Continuity bias is in every single one of us. You just do not want to believe that the bad stuff can happen. And so you tend to just ignore it and hope for the best. And it's kind of called the ostrich effect. Um, now, here's a, another personal example. When my father died at the age of 45, um, he, he did not, it was an unexpected illness. He did not expect to die. He went on a business trip and got sick on the business trip. And when he came home, he was in critical condition and he only lasted another two months or something like that. He had no life insurance and um, sad to say that um, when he died, my mother and I were stuck in a, in a bit of a panic situation trying to figure out what we were going to do with all of the obligations that dad had. He had bank loans all over the place and he was a bit of a, an entrepreneur as well. And so this was something that we had to go and figure out. And we ended up having to sell assets that we, we probably would not have sold had we not been in this position. But you know, you don't, you know, you don't think back and think, dad, you were, you were silly to, you know, not to have done that, but it's just a continuity bias. Every single one of us thinks that we're going to be healthy today. We're going to be healthy till the end of the year. We're going to be healthy until we're in our sixties or seventies or whatever it is. And so what's the point in planning for otherwise? That's something just to kind of consider. And there's so many other examples of it. God, if I think about it, people go 
and they they make they decide to buy a house on bridging finance because they want to sell their house they want to sell their house later and sure enough then the property market collapses or something like that and you're stuck with two properties and one of them is falling in value you got a loan on both that is an example of continuity bias where you haven't thought through the risks and the possibility of something bad taking place. Another example, this is one that you know occurs to me just when I heard it. The I've been listening to a lot of talk about TikTok and uh, in the US they're talking about banning TikTok for various reasons. It has become politicized and sure enough Donald Trump has gotten in the middle of it and the whole thing is completely politicized. And now they're talking about forcing the company to sell to Microsoft and all of this kind of stuff. Now, that is not what I'm talking about today. What I'm talking about is there was the CEO of that company and he was hired only, you know, recently enough. He came into the company, I think, six months ago. They took him from Disney. Um, He was a very talented uh, executive and he was all set to become a billionaire when this uh, IPO, when TikTok floated on the stock market and so can you just imagine when you take on that job and you're being paid this huge big salary and you are you know months away or maybe a year away from becoming a billionaire and all you have to do is float this company and that's it you're going to be a billionaire now there's this whole thing i talk about patience and discipline and restraint but it's very hard in the face of temptation to restrain yourself and so I can imagine now I'm not going to put, you know, actions in this guy's particular uh, mouth, but I can imagine when you think you're going to become a billionaire in the near future, what do you do? Well, you go off and you buy that luxury home, you buy yourself a nice private jet, perhaps. And then, you know, you need to have a Rolls Royce, (laughs) Rolls Royce for yourself and your wife and maybe a Ferrari and the beach house in the Bahamas, whatever it is. The bottom line is, is that people do not assume the worst and I can't imagine that this when this guy signed up to the job that he had any notion that within six months it was going to be completely politicized and he was going to be resigning from his job and so that is just an example of a potential continuity bias where you go into something you think everything's going to be rosy and then and you decide just it's time to kind of start spending money or to start you know throwing caution to the wind on the assumption that everything is going to work out amazing and so anyway that is a little bit of continuity bias do not assume things are going to continue to go as they have in the past um, because it is a shortcut that you're thinking and um, it's always good to think outside the box and to scenario plan i typically will have three different um, scenarios when i'm looking at an investment i will have what I call the pessimistic outcome, I'll have the optimistic outcome and I'll have the um, just the standard kind of um, outcome that I'm expecting. And you will end up, if you look at each of them and you just make sure that you're covered in the event of the pessimistic outcome, if everything goes wrong, like you don't expect this to happen, but if everything went wrong, what is going to, what is it going to look like? That was something that um, I sort of did in my early days, but then later on I started finding that I was cutting corners and stuff and you just start to assume everything's going to be fine and you can get yourself burned quite badly doing that. Next, I'm going to talk about a bias called availability cascade. 
And this happens, this is when the market starts talking about something and everyone starts to believe. The official definition is when a collective belief gains more and more uh, plausibility through increased repetition in public discourse. <laughs> a lot of, a bit of a mouthful that, but basically where the market and the newspapers and the pundits all start talking about something being uh, a no-brainer or something definitely going up and whatever and the whole market starts to believe in it and it just becomes more and more plausible that it's going to continue and nobody calls it out and nobody believes when somebody else calls it out so perfect example of this is the celtic tiger we were all on this kind of national euphoria the irish market prices were rising and it got to the point where prices in dublin were kind of coming similar in price to the prices in london and new york Paris and the entire country got caught up in this euphoria we were all buying property we were all borrowing up to our you know to the maximum that we could get and nobody thought that this was a merry-go-round that could stop nobody thought you know what happens when this all goes when the music stops and everything start, you know everything crashes down just nobody believed it was possible there was one economist who came out and I, I'm, I just can't remember his name right now but he came out with this thing called um, Future Shock. And it was a documentary that he put on the news, on the television one evening, and it was that the market is massively overpriced, which it was, and that there is apartments being built where there's just no prospect of there being an owner, that there's all this. He basically was saying exactly how the market was. And I can remember the following day, there was this huge pushback from the property industry, and it was all of the real estate agents and the brokers, they got together and they made this kind of joint statement that 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 program was complete nonsense and that there was nothing like that happening. And, and, and the whole thing was such pushback. And everyone went back to, you know, doing what they were doing, believing that everything was fine. And sure enough, not, a, not long later, the whole market did crash. Another good example of that is if you guys want to look at a movie called The Big Short. Now, if you haven't seen this, it's all about the 2008 uh, financial crisis and um, how some small number of investors made an absolute fortune, like became billionaires because they got in and they, they saw that this was what was happening and they actually bet against the market. And it took them a while. They figured it out early, but it took them a while for them to be proven right. But all of them became extremely wealthy because they basically did not buy into the availability cascade. They did not buy into this kind of euphoria that everyone was caught up in. And people just don't like to believe that the party is going to come to an end, but it always does. And so try to think in a rational way. Do, do not get caught up in the euphoria, study the data and try to remain kind of collected and unemotional about things. Next, we're going to talk about survivorship bias. And this is a tendency to concentrate on the people or things that survived uh, a bad or a negative event and inadvertently overlook all of those who did not. Now, a great example for this is in entrepreneurship. And so many people that I talk to, they want to become investors, they want to become entrepreneurs, and they all have these kind of business heroes or icons that they kind of look up to. And whether that's 
Steve Jobs or Bran Richard Branson or Elon Musk or, you know, you name it. There's, there's so many different people out there, Jeff Bezos. And we all idolize these guys because they are, you know, they're billionaires. They're enormously successful. They're out there in the public eye and they are, you know, they have these incredible lifestyles. And when you look at that and you kind of think, wow, you know, that is amazing. That's what I want. I want to become one of these people and I want to become a billionaire and I want to have all the success around me and, and all of these trappings, private jets and stuff. And that is what people get caught up in. And you overlook the fact that 99% of the world's population will never achieve that. 99%. But you see it and you think you're in the 1%. And that is the survivorship base of bias. You are believing in the guys that have survived it to the very top. And that doesn't even have to be the guys at the very top. You look at any startup business. Um, there's a probably 80% chance that that business will fail. Only, you know, 20% of the businesses go on to become, you know, hugely success or successful, not even hugely successful, probably three or 4% go on to become unicorns. And so you've got this huge amount of people that will actually fail, will lose their shirt, will possibly go bankrupt or whatever. But we don't look at those stories because they're not really out there in the public eye. We will look at the guys that survived and that is survivorship bias. So just be aware of it when you're listening to stories, success stories. That's one of the reasons why I talk about my failures here, because it's all too easy to talk about the great deals where you made a ton of money. And the reality is, is that there is always going to be a negative, you know, a negative quarter or a negative year or two or a negative decade in the last, uh, in the case of the last one, the last recession. So just bear that in mind that survivorship bias is something where you're just locking on to the success stories and the guys that have survived and you're ignoring the fact that, you know, 80, 90% of people didn't make it to that point. Next one, present moment bias. So present moment bias is a tendency to opt for an immediate reward or payoff rather than wait for a bigger reward further away. And this is another reason why I talk a lot about patience and discipline, because it really hits home. Um, let's say you're sitting on 50,000 in cash that you've just taken as an equity release out of a property. Unless you have uh, an investment for that to go into straight away and it's sitting in your bank account there, you might find that you start to actually dip into that. And this is something that people kind of think, you know what, I'm, I don't want to wait until I've sold, you know, made a, made a big fortune and buy to buy that car. I just want the car right now. And so this is something that happens a lot. And so present moment bias is that thing where you just, you opt for it now. And if you ask any child, you'll see that it's basically bias. This bias is like basically in our DNA, rather than waiting for some reward down the road, you'll take something now rather than doing that. And it can often go against your rational mindset. You might actually know that the right decision is to do this other thing, but it's very hard. This is the reason why dieting is so difficult. Now, at the moment, I am going through a bit of a diet and I've been doing this kind of, I've signed up to an Ironman in August of next year. So it's going to be my first Ironman event. And I've decided that I need to, you know, shave off some weight for the bike and the run and all that kind of stuff. And so I've started going on a bit of a diet and it is very difficult 
to diet because knowing that the results are, you know, 12 weeks away, maybe 24 weeks away, whatever it is, it's weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks away, the reward. And all I want is to have a pizza tonight or all I want is to eat that chocolate bar right now. And it's because right now is what you're thinking. And it's it's something that we're automatically we have a we have in our DNA that bias exists, exists. And it is very closely related to another bias called the restraint bias. And this is a tendency to overestimate your ability to show restraint in the face of temptation. And so I've fallen foul of this many times, especially when it came to um, when I was making lots of money through, you know, the property deals that I had done and things like that. Rather than putting it aside for the rainy day or sticking it into my pension or something like that, I wanted the lifestyle and I wanted it right now. And that is that, you know, restraint bias. I always thought to myself, when I make all this money, I'm going to be very sensible and I'm going to put it into assets and I'm going to have so much of it saved up in cash and I have so much of it saved in stocks and shares and I have so much of it saved in property. I'm going to have a really, you know, well-proportioned investment portfolio. Um, but then when the cash is sitting there right in front of you, it's just all too easy. That temptation is too much and you just start to kind of like fall out of that good, even though you know it's the right thing to do. It's an easy thing to kind of fall when the temptation is there. And so be aware of that. Be aware that you are not likely to have the same amount of restraint as you think you will. And therefore, you got to kind of, you know, lock away money on a kind of three month basis or something like that so that you can't touch it. And that is one of the things that can actually prevent you from making some of these mistakes. One of the next one, let's see, we rather than kind of going on for on and on and on, I'm going to I'm going to wind this up. But there are hundreds of these and um, I'm going to go through a couple more that I think are relevant to the real estate market. There is a thing called disposition bias, and this is a tendency to sell an asset that has accumulated in value and resist selling the asset that has declined in value. And there is just a ton of examples of this. Imagine you have two properties that you bought and let's just say you bought both of them for 100,000 and you're sitting there. Now, a year later, one of those properties has risen to 200,000. Or no, we'll say 300,000. So you have, you're looking at a 200,000 profit and uh, that which is 2x or 200% of your money. And the one that you bought for 100,000 in the other side of the city it has fallen in value to 80,000. So you've lost 20,000 there and it's a 20% loss. So, but you have to sell something. So which one are you going to sell? Are you going to sell and pocket that 200,000 profit or are you going to crystallize your loss and have to tell everybody that you lost 20,000 on that transaction? Now, most people have a thing called a disposition bias where they will take the one that has made the profit. And it's a natural inclination and it's still everyone automatically thinks this is something that makes sense. Why sell the loss maker? Why not just sell and pocket your profit? The reality is what you need to do is, again, it's the data, it's the it's the information you need to get in and you need to study. The reality is another year passes and that property that was worth 80 is probably still worth 80. And so you haven't made any gain maybe you've actually made a further loss maybe it's gone down to four you know 60 or something like that 
Meanwhile, if you had stayed with your property at 300 grand, 300K, maybe that's worth 500K now. So you've just missed out on another opportunity to make 200 more because you didn't want to admit the loss of 20. So that is the disposition bias. It's where you where you do not want to accept a loss and you do not look at it rationally. You don't study the data. You just make a decision based on, well, that's the one that's made the money and therefore it's the one that I should get out. And I guess the moral of the story is the process is the most important thing. You have to remember the process is often more important than the outcome because if you understand the process, then you can repeat the process. Whereas if you get lucky, then that's not a repeatable thing. You just got lucky. And that is a thing called an outcome bias. And an outcome bias is where you have done something primarily because of the outcome. A good outcome is what happened the last time. And therefore, you're going to do the very same thing again. Now, even though the last time might have been a complete accident, you just think that, well, it worked the last time, and therefore I'm going to do that again. But you don't understand the process. And the reality is, is that a good process that has a mediocre res result is actually better than a bad process that actually had a good result because it was pure blind luck. You don't know why you got that result. You just happen to get it. And that can lead you into a false sense of security and all of that kind of stuff. So anyway, guys, look, I have so many more. Um, I could talk for an hour or two on this. And so what I'm actually going to suggest is if you like this as a topic, um, if you'd like to hear some more stories similar to this, let me know in the comments. If you go into the Facebook group and let me know whether you'd like to hear more about this kind of thing, I'd be delighted to talk about more. But you know, it's the kind of topic that I could literally go on for. I mean, there are there are dozens of them and there are, you know, there's all around team building. There's a thing called groupthink. And I'll just finish off on groupthink. Groupthink is where you have a group of people who do not want to rock the boat, do not want to create tension or cause kind of upset. And so they all pretty much go along with the same um, ideas. And so you end up with a load of people believing in a certain solution and nobody pushing back against it because they don't want to create tension amongst the group. And so this is how a lot of the time it happens in government policy and stuff where you have a couple of different people all kind of listening in and somebody suggests something. And rather than saying that's a that's a silly idea, you kind of just go along with it. And so this group all signs off on something and you end up with a complete failure because nobody pushed back on it because they didn't want to be the, the kind of the awkward person who you know, spoke up and there's a ton more that I can get into. So anyway, guys, that is it for episode 20 of Behind the Facade. God, I can't believe we're already at episode 20. Please check out the show notes um, for any links. Well, there won't be any links today because uh, I didn't mention anything particular. What there is, is there's a great Wikipedia post on uh, cognitive bias, and I'll put a link to that. Thank you so much for listening. My number one ask is that if you found this episode useful please leave a review and um, give us you know a five-star rating whatever it is that is the number one way to help the podcast it gets us it, it basically makes people aware of us it gets us in the rankings and we'll start popping up in people's feed as recommended to listen to the 
that's the one thing I can do for me. If you find this useful, if you want to hear more of my ideas and things like that, I'd really appreciate it if you can do that. Um, the other thing is, yeah, join our Facebook group, the the, the Behind the Facade community. It's, um, it's sitting there at the moment. I haven't really been driving membership, but I am posting regular videos in that. I did a walkabout yesterday in East Point. I brought it brought uh, the, the viewers over to see inside one of our buildings and to show the new lobby we just renovated. And lastly, if you are interested in catching up on some of my video content, I have a YouTube channel called PropTech TV, and that is where I post pretty much all of the content that I can find. And um, so post that here. And uh, yeah, hope you guys have enjoyed this podcast. And until next week, have a great time. Talk to you soon.